Welcome back to the Desert Springs Church podcast. It exists to supplement the ministry and growth of the body here at Desert Springs Church. My name is Drew. I'm here with Chase and Ryan today. And in anticipation for the message this coming Sunday, uh, that Ryan will be preaching out of Nehemiah 10, uh, we wanted to kind of take a deeper dive into a particular issue uh, that's going to come up uh, from the text in Nehemiah 10. And Ryan and Chase will both uh, speak to that. But uh, specifically, we're looking at this idea of Christians and non-Christians or God's people and those who aren't God's people being joined together in fellowship and specifically in marriage. Uh, but we'll, there'll be implications for other kinds of fellowships that Christians and non-Christians could have. So the Old Testament has this, has this picture of, of God's people being separate and, and then being separate from the other nations and specifically in marriage. And then the New Testament picks up on a lot of these things. And so we wanted to just discuss that a little bit. So a little more behind the scenes or, so Ryan, why don't you start us off and just starting at Nehemiah 10 and then what you wanted to talk more about today. Yeah. Nehemiah 10 verse 30 says, we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. Uh, This is based on Deuteronomy 7. Uh, It's a matter that is throughout Ezra, especially chapters 7 to 10, Uh, and it's a matter that'll come out again in Ezra, especially in chapter 13. So it's no small issue. Uh, The question, I think, for Christians is whether that's applicable today. Uh, Is the same prohibition um, applied to Christians in the New Testament and that's a good reason, there's good reason to ask that kind of question, because just take Nehemiah 10, there are several issues that aren't as relevant today as they were back then, the Sabbath being mm. one of them. Uh, the covenant has changed, that's another issue. Mm. Um, we're, we're not people who put up walls in order to keep out unholiness that we might keep ourselves holy. You're going to, you're probably going to talk about this at some point, but, um, but the lines being drawn on in the old Testament on ethnic lines, it more so than in the new Testament, we don't see those, those lines in the new Testament. The reason there were ethnic lines drawn in the old Testament is for religious reasons, not for racial insensitivity, not for racial separation. This is about Israel's ethnic, sorry, this is not about their ethnic purity, this is about their spiritual spiritual purity. And we get that in Deuteronomy 7, let me read this part. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons, or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. And we'll see this later on in Nehemiah 13, where Solomon, in his, um, his situation, is used as a a classic test case. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the many nations, there was no king like him, and he was beloved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made even him to sin. So This is First Kings 11. Yeah. It's a sad, sad story. So the Old Testament principle is, it's not it's not ethnic, so it's just you can't marry somebody that's outside of your race. But it's not even arbitrary. Like this isn't just a strange rule that separated God's people in like just a superficial sense. But the the purpose behind it was a relationship like marriage is so 
primary. It's so formative and influential on a person's whole life, especially their spiritual life, that being in a relationship like that with somebody that doesn't have the same spiritual pursuits that you have will ultimately be a detriment to your your spiritual pursuit. So I think that principle obviously carries over into the New Testament. That's one that that persists way into the New Covenant. Yeah, and that principle goes all the way back to the Garden when you see Adam and Eve in their relationship and it being so foundational for for creation Mm -hmm. and even the flourishing of creation. And it reflected their their union and their relationship and fellowship with God, their Creator. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there 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 had to be, um, yeah, there had to be a purity to it, or it, it wouldn't have worked. Yeah, marriage is a partnership under God's rule for those made in His image, for His glory, for His purposes. It's it's this uh, most foundational partnership for God's glory that we have in all of creation. Uh, so to think that we would be on in a marriage on di- totally different pages on all that relates to God and all that God touches, which is everything, mm-hmm. so children, checkbooks, calendar, what else? Give me some more Job. C's. Oh, <laughs> hey, a list of C's going there. So <laughs> children, calendar, checkbooks, on and on it goes. We, we can keep going from there, priorities and uh, goals and, and emotions and aspirations. Uh, it affects so, so much. To be on different pages on all those things um, would be not only catastrophic to the partnership towards God's glory, but it would also make marriage very, very hard. And I think that would be, you know, if you're looking at this from the position of who you're choosing to take as a spouse. So we'll talk later about somebody that might find themselves in a relationship where there's those different priorities. But but on on the side before you've entered into a marriage relationship and you're trying to choose who you want to marry, um, if really what you're saying, if you believe the gospel, that the most important thing about your life is your relationship with God, and then you're considering marrying someone that would say it would answer that question differently. Mm-hmm. And would say the most important thing about them is something else. Well, then why on earth would you want to enter into yeah. a partnership with that person when you know ahead of time that your pursuits are are totally different? At yeah. the very least, it sounds incredibly unwise. If, yeah. If not, and it, diso- dis- not catastrophic. If not disobedience yeah. to and a direct it, yeah. command. And yeah. it calls into the question your own testimony that this is, in fact, the most important thing to you is your relationship mm-hmm. with God. Mm-hmm. If you're willing yeah. to set that aside to be with somebody else. Yeah. 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 One more comment on the creation order. Uh, they shall leave mother and father and cling to each other and become one flesh. That one flesh is a physical one flesh in the marital bed, but it's not just a, mm. a physical one flesh. They are one flesh in every way. Mm. They're to be that way anyway. We're growing towards that. We're growing towards oneness in our marriage relationships the more we do life together. Um and again, to have that most fundamental of matters, whether Jesus Christ is Lord of my life mm. or not, uh, is very problematic. But not just problematic. Um, we started to talk about the New Testament. There are a couple of references in the New Testament that show us that those Old Testament um, laws, commandments, are relevant still today. Uh, one is Paul speaking in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 39 uh, he says, a woman, a wife, is bound to her husband as long as he lives, 
but if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. So that's not a throwaway phrase at no. the end there, only mm-hmm. in the Lord. Paul's specifying that the marriage that she has in the future, it's possible for her to, for her to have a second marriage, but it, of course, should be one in the Lord. Yeah. They should share that. And then later in 1 Corinthians, I think in chapter 9, right, Paul says that um, that he, as a Christian, has the right to take a believing spouse. Yeah, um, yeah. the apostles have the right to be financially supported, mm-hmm. and uh, don't they have a right to travel with a believing right. wife? And the, the argument there is, you know, Paul hasn't availed himself of that right for reasons related to his ministry to the Gentiles, but the underlying principle is, sure, I can get married to a believer. That's right. the that's the idea. That's normative for me. That's that's for every Christian in the church to take a believing spouse. Yeah. yeah. Drew, what about the passage in 2 Corinthians 6 that's so often used for this issue, uh, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers? That passage, I don't think, says anything directly about marriage, but does it apply? Uh, yeah. So, I grew up only hearing it that way, that, that unequally yoked meant meant you can't marry an unbeliever. Um, and when I hear it now, I just simply think as a bodybuilder, how you could be unequally yoked by, you know, having a big upper body and like really skinny legs, <laughs> you know, because you go to the gym to get yoked. Or I think about eggs. Is that a thing? Because I eat a lot of eggs. Yeah, you get... People yeah. say yoked. You're looking about, yoked, bro. Oh, man. I have never it's, heard... That's, it's yeah. horrible. No one says that about me. But, so, <laughs> but yeah, that's... I mean, that's why people listen to this podcast for this kind of insider information. Um, and I do eat a lot of eggs as well. But what does also unequally but the, have but the, really the, But the image true. here, yeah, is is a yoke that you would put over oxen to to uh, to work the fields. And if you put if you put a large oxen next to a small oxen... The yoke isn't going to work. It's actually going to hinder go in both, circles, yeah. right? Yeah, they're, they're, it's just it's not going to be productive. Um, so you want two equal oxen pulling to pulling the yoke and pulling uh, the till to to work the land to to bear fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, Chase, you can speak more to this. Uh, you've studied it more, but in the context of Second Corinthians, uh, I just think Paul Paul's writing to to a church and he's talking to. Uh, he's warning the Christians in this church not to be unequally yoked uh, to unbelievers. Um, so yeah, marriage isn't uh, explicit in that passage, uh, but I think it's certainly implied. Yeah. And and what what like uh, like what you guys have already said? What is a more foundational fellowship and partnership than that of marriage? Right. Yeah. I think I think Second Corinthians six is kind of covering this broad. They're casting this broad net of the kinds of relationships that Christians can have. I think in its immediate context, you know, if you're reading through Second Corinthians, Paul's been talking about these opponents that have come mm-hmm. into the church that that are in the church, right? That are calling themselves believers, that are um, threatening the the faithful worship of the church that's there. And and part of the way that they're threatening that is they're telling people to to not listen to Paul, that Paul is not an apostle, which is to say that the gospel that Paul is preaching is not the true Mm. gospel. And so that's where I think Paul is immediately talking about unbelievers. It's just people that would reject that gospel. And Paul is saying to this church, you know, he goes on a little bit later to use all of this Old Testament imagery about the church being this covenant community redeemed from the exile that has God's presence with them. And he's saying that, that this identity of the church doesn't have any place with unbelievers in it. So really you could look at it as almost like another argument for 
regenerate church membership and and mm. this view of discipline of how we treat those relationships to the church. Mm-hmm. But then I think in this broader sense too that, um, like you're saying, when when an, a believer and an unbeliever are tied together in a relationship where they're supposed to be working together, you know, that they're supposed to, the church is supposed to be working together. And when you just got fundamentally different goals, that's going to mm-hmm. undermine the work that you're trying to do for the gospel. Yeah. yeah. In music, it'd be like trying to play two different songs at the same time. Uh, we just don't have the same goal and there's going to be dissonance. Right. And yeah. and yeah, we need to be, we need to be playing the same notes. Yeah. So that kind of raises the question of well, what kind of partnerships then would be included in yeah. this. Yeah, so when you were talking, Chase, I just thought, man, this this uh, 2 Corinthians 6 could be really applicable to a church who whose pastor has, yeah. has shown fruit of unbelief. Right, yeah. And yeah. man, that that church would need to to act to in discipline to remove that pastor. Yeah, I think yeah. that's that's absolutely... That false teacher. Right, yeah, that, they're, that they are... Just that, they're a false teacher. So the gospel that they're proclaiming is contrary to the gospel yeah. of this, this darkness. Church is, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, the church is supposed to be welcoming of non-Christians. You think of 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul thinks of an unbeliever in their midst, and hopefully mm. they would sense that God is truly in this place and be saved. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, their inclusion in the meeting of the church is not the same thing as their inclusion in the body of Christ. Yeah, and nor is this the other way, the church removing themselves from the world you mm. know so again in like first corinthians chapter five he's talking to them about not associating with sexually immoral people and then he clarifies i didn't mean the sexually immoral people in the world or the greedy or the swindlers or idolaters since then you'd need to come out of the world yeah he's saying i'm talking about in your own midst so there's this distinction with the church and he's not saying make yourselves this little spiritual ghetto where you're never interacting with these other people but it's you know, really, I, I heard John Piper kind of talk about it in a way that I thought was helpful. Was which way is the the transforming influence flowing? Hmm. So, is in these relationships are because we want to have relationships with non-believers. That's that's part, and even you know, in ways that I think people might consider a kind of partnership. You know, you're working with unbelievers, you're doing these things. You can do that for the sake of the gospel in a way where your presence with them and your partnership with them is a positive influence towards the gospel for them. I think that's exactly what we're called to do. But then in the other way, if you're having these relationships where you're so entwined with these other people that their worldliness and their immorality is a negative influence on you and it's leading you away from the gospel, I think that's where we start saying you're unequally yoked. You protect the purity of the church to protect the purity of the gospel or to protect the good deposit. Right. Um, and just like in the Old Testament, yeah, God separated his people to, uh, for their purity, same with the church. And the distinction you mentioned uh, would certainly be there um, and imply that we need to know who is in the church and who is not. Mm-hmm. So it implies membership, mm-hmm. uh, meaningful membership of, of those that say we are in and we hold to this gospel, uh, we profess and confess it together. And then those who don't, mm-hmm. um, and there, there needs to be that distinct. There must be that distinction, mm-hmm. or there isn't a church. So I want to circle back to your question, Chase, it, uh, of Second Corinthians six. What other kinds of partnerships and fellowships could this be applied to, or maybe misapplied to? So I'd ask you, Ryan, can I get my hair cut by an unbeliever, or can I like go into business? With an unbeliever, yeah, right. There's concentric circles here right. that we're considering. So where, where do you think Second Corinthians six draws that line? 
I think it can be over-applied or misapplied. Uh, when we teach Simeon workshops for pastors, we talk about um, going above the line and below the line. If the line is the line of Scripture, what Scripture says, there's always that chance that we go below the line and say and do less than God's Word says, or go above the line and we demand more of Christians than what God's Word says. So I think if 2 Corinthians 6 were the only passage in the Bible about believers and marriage and how it relates to unbelievers, uh, maybe it would be going too far to apply it to marriage. It's not, though. Yeah. We have already mentioned 1 Corinthians 7, 1 Corinthians 9, and then that massive amount of material from the Old Testament mm-hmm. um, stating this over and over again. So I think marriage, let, let's just establish, that that fits under 2 Corinthians 6, partly because of all the other scriptures that teach us that more explicitly. Now, when you come to something like, uh, who cuts your hair? Well, that's not much of a partnership. It's kind of a I mean, partnership. my hair, is, it's important. I know, I mean. it's a partner. You're in it together, and uh, it's for better <laughs> or worse, Right. But uh, it's not much of a partnership. In fact, this may be a great gospel opportunity. Uh, when I was in college, I went to the same non-Christian uh, hairdresser, barber, whatever you'd call him, um, over and over again because we would get the opportunity to talk about the gospel and uh, how could I go elsewhere. Um, it reminds me of the Shepherd's Guide. You remember those? Yeah, dangerous. The, yeah, yeah. Shepherd's Guide. That was Guide. one of my first moves here as uh, a preaching pastor. They showed up, and I summarily put them in the trash. Yeah. I don't know what this is. Okay, Ryan, you <laughs> can explain, explain to him the Shepherd's Guide. The Shepherd's Guide is a hard copy thing of all the Christian businesses in town. Oh, wow. And so I you didn't it, have to ever I called do it business. The so you would never guide. enter I, I said, into we a are not never be unequally pass out the bubble guide. Uh, which I don't know if it got passed out here before. It could be that it just yeah. showed up, but mm-hmm. I just thought, no, let me let's just let's. And let's if get we're this interpreting in it that here. way, I mean, you can see any business interaction is a kind of either with a real contract or an implicit contract. So you yeah. are entering into a business a relationship with yeah. somebody. So yeah, if, if we, we want trustworthy people, well, sure, yeah, right, yeah, but uh, yeah, I I think that that's straining way too much at. What yeah. this is trying to and get sadly, to. sometimes the businesses with a fish on the sign mm-hmm. are not the most trustworthy. Yeah. They don't yeah. do the most excellent work, and, mm-hmm. and that's a shame. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so business partnership, uh, you know, you go into business with some someone, it's closer to a partnership, um, but again, the Bible doesn't say you can't go into business with someone who's not a Christian. Could you say so, it's wiser? to consider going into somebody, into a relationship like that with someone that shares the principles that you share? Perhaps. And if the choice is a pretty wise non-Christian partner or a Christian who's kind of lazy and has no experience in the field, I think the wisest option would Mm -hmm. be going with this non-Christian. Yeah. Uh, So when people say sometimes, oh, I shouldn't have gone into business with that guy. I was unequally yoked and it didn't work out. Well, it didn't work out in maybe for Mm -hmm. a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. And maybe it wasn't wise to enter in. If you had more data, maybe you wouldn't have entered into partnership with this person. But you can't 
blame it on Second Corinthians six yeah. and think that you were somehow outside of God's will from the beginning of this. Right, because I, again, I think the big idea with Second Corinthians six specifically is with that idea of influence one way or another with the worship of God. You know, are these relationships, which is going back to the marriage too, are these relationships leading you to a greater understanding of the gospel and a greater faith in Jesus? Or is there something about this relationship that um, is detrimental? It's it's putting you in the place of sin. It's putting you, you know, mm-hmm. this in this section, Paul talks a lot about the church as the temple of God and how it has no, the church has no place with sinfulness. Like he goes, he gives five different uh, descriptions of what the church is, that we're righteousness, that we're light, you know, that we are this redeemed people. And so we have no place being in relationships that are leading us into blatant sin, what the Bible would clearly yeah. call is sin, which yeah. is not, this guy's just, you know, a great businessman, but he doesn't share the faith that I share, but otherwise he's an upstanding, virtuous person. Well, then I think Paul would say, that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about yeah. the people that are leading you into sin, what the Bible clearly says is sin because of your relationship yeah. and your partnership with them. Yeah. A helpful question, Yeah, diagnostic question could be how close to the gospel does this partnership get mm. in, in mm. the sense of are you are you able to safeguard the gospel? And and you guys have mentioned these other texts about marriage. And when you're considering going into a partnership or opening a business uh, with an unbeliever, we don't we don't have many verses, specifically in the New Testament, don't have any verses that speak against that directly or present this view that it must be the other way. But with marriage, we do. Mm-hmm. And you guys have mentioned them, and even Ephesians 5 would just present yeah. the, this picture of the gospel mm-hmm. in marriage. And I don't see how you have that that picture right. accurately portrayed. Um, it, it, yeah, I used the music example earlier. It'd be like an artist painting. And it'd be like two people painting on the same canvas, but painting different pictures. Mm-hmm. So if, if, if the unbelieving spouse is mm-hmm. painting mm-hmm. about themselves and about just this world and, and the things of this world, because that's what they would be focused on. And then the believing spouse is trying to paint a picture of the gospel. It's not going to be a very clear picture. So maybe let's yeah. let's think about that a little bit more. And this is more applicable to Nehemiah 10 too, which is specifically talking about the marriage relationship. Let's think about some different people that this applies to. So you guys have, you're counseling a young couple. The, the girlfriend is a believer her boyfriend is not a believer. What would you guys say to this believer or this sister in that situation? Break it off. Yep. I would say, yeah. And Be, remain friends. And she says, oh, but he's so close to believing, I know. Mm-hmm. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep on sharing the gospel with him. Yes. I, I think he'll get something, there. Something I read that I thought was really helpful is that if, um, yeah, if you have, if you have a, someone of the opposite sex that is, is interested in the gospel, uh, that they would be just as likely to hear it from someone of the same sex as mm-hmm. they would be from you. Mm-hmm. And if they're only interested in hearing the gospel from you, it's possibly because they're only interested in you mm-hmm. and not yeah. the gospel. Yeah. So so I would say you you, you break, that off, break off whatever kind of relationship you have there as far as romantic mm-hmm. um, pursuing marriage, and you would, back, you would back that off and then try Hand to get— off. Hand them off to a trying to get them to another believer. Yeah, yeah. If he's sincerely interested of the same sex, yeah. Yeah. You know what? Let me introduce you to my pastor. I'd love to. And as I've thought about this, I think that, uh, and I don't, I don't have, I don't have a scripture to point to in this. I think I would counsel uh, a couple to to be cautious of. Say, I'll give you a scenario. 
say, a believing, believing girl uh, likes this unbelieving boy. The unbelieving boy comes around, and God uses that as a means to his salvation, and he seems to profess and, and believe. I would counsel even caution and, mm. and patience, mm-hmm. even in that, to not then rush to the altar because they got because they got saved. Yeah. Right. Um, I would say let's wait and because, see, see fruit because marriage because something massive has just happened in right. this young man's life. Right. W- let's not rush to the altar. Well, and right, just be, because he the heart faith. is deceitful above all things and wickedly sick. And you just I think you always have to look at the incentives that somebody would have yeah. to make a profession of faith. And they may think that they really have, but they realize... It may just because, I because can't she's marry, really she pretty. She said, I can't marry you yeah. unless you're a Christian. And so right. that's, that's all the... to jump through yeah. and watch. I can do that. Totally. And they yeah. and they may think that it's genuine, but you yeah. just, you don't know. And so, yeah, I think we need to be really careful in yeah. those kind of relationships. And reading that article from Kathy Keller, she she said in all the, all the times that um, she's counseled uh, people in this scenario, mm-hmm. in this situation... She says she wishes she could just have someone who's been in that marriage, been in mm-hmm. an unequally yoked marriage, come and counsel these people mm-hmm. because they can, pretty much all of them could can attest to the heartache and the difficulty yeah. uh, and the devastation that, that comes from these marriages. Can we back up even just a bit more from, you know, the scenario you painted, Drew, where someone is kind of, dare we say, boyfriend, girlfriend, they're dating, they're considering the possibility of marriage take a step back, uh, we should be guarded with those friends that were, you know, those people we're friends with who are not Christians of the opposite sex. Um, Not that we can't be friends with non-Christians of the opposite sex. We can. But we have to guard the heart because it's really possible for that to um, turn to romance or even just romantic, personal, quiet feelings uh, and before we know it, we're sort of out over our skis uh, emotionally uh, in the relationship. Hmm. So pull it back. Um, be thinking, okay, uh, what does this look like if I kept going down this road and I'm only one inch into it, but boy, 10 feet, one mile into it, it gets really complicated. It gets harder and harder to jump out of it. Yeah. yeah. And Guard as, you guys heart, are, bro. as you guys are talking about that, it this this is a conversation for another time, but just what is dating? Mm. You know, what is dating for? Yeah, um, I think there can be some confusion in that. Like, oh well, I can spend even for believers for believers dating yeah. other believers. Right, yeah. sure, yeah. yeah. That well, I'm not really. I don't think I'd marry this person, but right now it's fun to be in this boyfriend girlfriend relationship with them, and, and mm-hmm. that's that's not what we're doing. And we're 13 years old, right? Yeah, yeah. Drew. So you mentioned uh, Kathy Keller's advice. You know, was that a TGC article, Drew? Yes, TGC. Okay. So if you just looked up. Uh, yeah, can a Christian marry a non-Christian? I think you'll Kathy Keller's article would be one of the top hits. Yeah, so with her reference to people that are in that marriage, right? That that have been or mm-hmm. in an unequally yoked mm-hmm. marriage, maybe maybe you knew going into it that what you were doing is wrong, and you did it anyway. You know, or you yeah. didn't take God's counsel in that, or maybe um, you know you both thought you were believers when you got married, and then one of and then one, one of the spouses proved not to be and apostatized or uh, the other way around. You're both non-believers when you get married and then you become a believer. Yeah. There, there's different ways where people can end up in that relationship. And, you know, and if you're in that first category, let's just say, brother, sister, there's grace for you, mm-hmm. right? That there's not an unforgivable sin, right. you, you know, besides unbelief, you know, that, that making a mistake, making that sin in the past is not something that Jesus 
didn't die for on the cross when he died mm. for your sins. So there's grace for that, but it's hard. And then those in those other situations that have found themselves in an unequally yoked marriage, it's hard. So what does the Bible say to someone in that situation? Uh, one word comes to mind, remain. Mm. First Corinthians 7 uses that word over and over for different categories of people in different relationships, and this is certainly one of them. It says to re- remain in this category um, is given... I don't know, probably four or five verses. I think it's verses 13 to 16 of 1 Corinthians 7, um, where Paul addresses a woman married to an unbelieving man, and he says she should stay in the marriage if he's willing to stay. Hmm. She should stay, and she talks about the hope of the the man's conversion. Hmm. Yeah, that as she's living in that relationship, that her submissiveness, uh, her, her holiness testifies to her husband and that it might be the means that God uses, even even if that relationship is harsh, right? Mm-hmm. Like even if the husband is hard to live with and that she continues to be yeah. like Christ and, you know, yeah. enduring suffering for the sake of the, the, the love that she has for this other person, that that could be the most powerful means of preaching the gospel to him. Yeah. Yeah. First Peter 3 also speaks to this. Yep. Um, it speaks of unbelieving husbands as those who have not yet obeyed the word, mm-hmm. uh, and perhaps by a wife's quiet and meek conduct, um, her husband might be one to the Lord even yeah. without a word. From research that they've shown in the first century, it seemed like there was about a three to one or even four to one ratio of women mm-hmm. to men in the church very early on. If you kind of look at... Mm. Um, you know, that's based on like grave sites and the names that they see on tombs and things that just seem to be more women. So there's a reason that the Bible talks about women, wives married to unbelieving husbands, as it seemed like early on, for some reason, it was more common for women to convert first than men. Well, I think we would probably resonate with that. Yeah, maybe not the same ratio as back then, but certainly that's the majority these days, I would say. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Well, women are just better. That's true. Um, it, it's an easier yeah. jump because they're yeah, already right. holier than they're already holier. anyway. That was, sorry, that was a digression, but that's yeah. a, but that's a good point. No, that's that, really good. You know that um, that you're remaining in this relationship for the sake of the gospel. Yeah. yeah, and the cliche of two wrongs don't make a right stands here, and that just because you've found yourself in a uh, yeah less than ideal situation that you otherwise wouldn't have mm-hmm. if you could go back in time, um, that doesn't mean you you break what God has joined together in marriage. Marriage is still a gift and is still good and is still worth upholding. Yeah, yeah. and you lean into God's sovereignty. Mm-hmm. He was sovereign even over perhaps what was sin. He is sovereign over where you find yourself right now. He's good in it. He's wise. This is his overarching plan for your life. It may not have been what was um, the ideal at a certain fork in the road, but mm-hmm. now further down the road mm-hmm. uh, on one of these forks, um, you can trust where God has you and seek to thrive there. Yeah, that's what, when it says God has joined you together, you know, that's from Genesis and then Jesus uses that again, that God has joined these this this husband and this wife together. And I've heard some people misunderstand that and say, well, we were not believers when we got married, so it was not God that joined us together. It was us joining ourselves together, and therefore we can separate because was, that's that's wrong. Yeah. That's a bad interpretation. God is sovereign over everything, which yeah. is what you're saying, Ryan, that God has joined every marriage together, and so you trust him in that. You don't separate that. You remain in that. You endure in that. And I heard some uh, some advice that John MacArthur gave that if you are 
an unbelieving or you are a believing spouse and your your other your spouse is an unbeliever what you should be striving for is proving to your unbelieving spouse that in every way your marriage is better because you believe the gospel. Mm-hmm. In every way you are a better wife than you would have been because mm-hmm. you believe the gospel. In mm-hmm. every way you're a, you're a more sympathetic husband, you're a more thoughtful husband, you're more deliberate, all of these things because you believe the gospel. And that's how you preach the gospel to them in your marriage. Yeah, it should be, Lord willing, the aroma of life. Uh, to the unbelieving mm-hmm. spouse, not the aroma of death. Yeah. It shouldn't be a wedge that you use to try to drive in between you and your unbelieving spouse, but yeah. but rather a, an invitation. And it can be incredibly hard. You know, I, mm-hmm. I know I know people in those relationships, and sometimes their spouse does not want them to go to church, does not want them to read the Bible, does not want them to talk about those things. It can be really, really hard. And then in that case, you say, well, I still have to obey God rather than man. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to yeah. let my unbelieving spouse lead me to sin. But in every way that I can, I'm going to love and submit. And yeah. and it can be so hard. And that's why the church, too, is the family of faith is so important that yeah. um, these are the relationships that, to your fellow brothers and sisters that are your And your like you guys said, it's it's a means of grace to the unbelieving spouse that mm-hmm. that they live with a believer. Yeah. yeah. That is God's mercy. Right. And he can, he can work through that. He does. Yeah. He can. Yeah. Bonus question. Do you think, do you, would you guys marry unbelievers? Yes. Two unbelievers. In half. You mean officiate the wedding two, of... Two unbelievers. Because I'm you, already married, so I'm not going to marry an unbeliever. Correct. Yeah. Let alone two unbelievers. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This isn't This is getting way off, man. So... Would we yeah. officiate yeah. the... Yeah. Would you, you support and officiate the, the marriage of two unbelievers? Unpack yeah. that. Because some, some wouldn't. Some brothers that we would agree with that are godly, faithful brothers would say, no, we shouldn't, shouldn't marry them uh, because you can't hold them accountable hmm. to the, the oaths of marriage. Yeah. So I would say marriage is a creational matter. It's mm-hmm. not just a redemptive matter. Uh, it goes back to the beginning. Um, and I would say that they should be married, and why not be married by a, a pastor who would be glad to do their premarital counseling and mm-hmm. talk about Jesus every single week we're together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and preach the gospel at the wedding. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's good. Yeah, yeah, that's I think good. I agree with that. You've been listening to the Desert Springs Church Podcast. If you have any questions on anything, that you've heard us talk about today. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us, info at dscabq.com. Uh, reach out to uh, to Chase, Ryan, or myself. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll keep these podcasts going. They seem to be going okay. I like it. I think people are listening. So uh, ah, that's all for now. And uh, let's keep spreading God's glory broader and deeper. Else? Any closing thoughts? Super Bowl predictions? Super Bowl predictions? I think uh, I think Gronk this will, this is, will air. will be proven wrong. I think yeah, Gronk is going to have a huge before. game. I'd love to see that. I think Gronk has a huge game because it's Gronk and Brady. Yeah. Um, but I think they lose. No. I think Kansas City wins oh. like in a close one. Hmm. Close one. Gronk, big game. KC wins a close one. That, those are my predictions. I mean, I don't like Tom Brady, but it would be neat to see him like sealed as the greatest of all time. And I think this would. He that. hasn't already. No, yeah, I mean, I really? I think, <laughs> Come on, that's another podcast. I, I think if there was ever a question, Please. this would put it to rest. That's how much I don't like him. Yeah, okay. Right. So it would even silence my objections. Dude's been to like half the Super Bowls in your lifetime. I know. Right. That's why I don't like him. <laughs> Come on. If he had played bet. for the Cowboys, I'd love him. Yeah. But. yeah. It's hard not to bet for the bet. 
hard to bet against the old thing. Yeah, that's right. All right. Well, that's that's the good stuff. <laughs> we have to cut that. Welcome. Welcome back. I'm back. Chase. Yeah. How long do you think I was going to talk? Well, women are just better. <laughs> I had a list of C's going there. Yeah, sorry, I zoned out. <laughs>